the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. 262 CP, Bayonet Point, WTBN, Pinellas Park. Portions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. And we do face our own crises. We face situations that appear to be virtually impossible. You might be facing today a health crisis. It could be a financial crisis. It could be a job-related crisis, like you don't know where you're going to work. Or you've been working for a company for years and they're thinking of letting you go just because you're getting a little older and make too much money and then cut back. George Mueller said, Faith does not operate in the realm of the possible. There is no glory for God in that which is humanly possible. Faith begins where man's power ends. When we acknowledge God's greatness, great things can happen in our lives. Welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Today, we begin another message in Pastor Steve's series on the man, Nehemiah, and the book that bears his name. Nehemiah was in real distress about the situation in Jerusalem. But as the cupbearer to the king of Persia, he could not just get up and go there to help. What would you do if you had a tremendous burden for something and you felt compelled by God to do something about it, but you had no means of doing it? Nehemiah knew exactly where to start. He prayed. Here's Pastor Steve to tell us how Nehemiah prayed. Many years ago, Dallas Seminary was a young school facing a financial crisis, a real serious crisis. Well, that's why we call it a crisis. There was no more money left to run the school, and it was in danger of closing down. Now, as I recall, the need was about $55,000 to run the school, to keep it going. So the board of directors met behind closed doors to, uh, to discuss this and primarily to seek the Lord in prayer. During this prayer meeting, Harry Ironside, who was a well-known Bible teacher, the pastor of the Moody Church in Chicago, and, and one of the directors, prayed like this. He said, Lord, you said in Psalm 50, verse 10, that money is no object to you. For the psalmist said, for every beast of the field is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. And so Dr. Ironside went on to petition uh, the Lord to send the money and others prayed. Well, soon after Ironside finished praying and some others went on to pray, even while the prayer meeting continued, there was a knock on the door and it was the secretary, the secretary of the school, who came to inform them that a cattle rancher had just called up the school promising $55,000 to the school, to which one of the board members said to Harry Ironside, he said, well, Harry, it looks like God just sold one of his cattle. He had prayed, God owns a cattle on a thousand hills, one of the cattle was sold. Now, you know, that's terribly exciting. That is really exciting to hear stories like that and, and others about God answering prayer to, to what we would call humanly impossible situations. But there's also a problem with a story like that and, and others, 
Uh, and the problem is this. Too often we look at these stories as something that happens to other people and not to us. As somebody else's experience, it, it just doesn't happen to me. We wish we could say that we face our crises like that with great confidence in God and we pray and claim a promise and petition the Lord and uh, something exciting like this happens. But uh, that's usually not our experience. And we do face our own crises. We face situations that appear to be virtually impossible. Uh, there are, uh, uh, you might be facing today a health crisis. It could be a financial crisis. It could be a job-related crisis. Like you don't know where you're going to work. Or you've been working for a company for years and they're thinking of letting you go. Just because you're getting a little older and make too much money and they can cut back. It could be the salvation of a loved one that looks so hopeless and and you don't see any solution to it. Or it could be a family marital crisis. How many people have uh, uh, horrible, horrible relationships and situations? Or it could be a problem of just such mammoth proportions that you don't know what what you can do. You just don't know what you can do. Well, this morning, I'd like to tell you what you can do. Because back in the closing days of the Old Testament era, Nehemiah, cupbearer to the king of Persia, faced a humanly impossible situation. I'd like you to turn to the book of Nehemiah. And I hope you remember last week how to find it. It's it's past Ezra. It's between Ezra and Esther. And I think I said go to the Psalms and go three books back. You can find the Psalms and go three books back, and you'll find the, the book of Nehemiah. Because in the first chapter of this book, Nehemiah models for us a prayer that brought God's answer to a situation and a solution to what, what we would call a crisis. And I want to just read the first few verses, and this is what we read last week, and I want to just familiarize you with this and show you what the crisis was. Nehemiah chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in Susa, the capital, that Hanani, one of my brothers, and some men from Judah came, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped and had survived the captivity about Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who survived the captivity are in great distress and reproach, and the walls of Jerusalem, uh, the wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are burned with fire. Now it came about when I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Now his crisis was this. You may not see it there. He obviously was burdened. He was grief-stricken about the wall of Jerusalem being down because uh, the people would be disgraced. God would be disgraced. What kind of a God puts a, 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 a temple in a city and his own people and he doesn't have a wall. He can't protect them. They were a laughing stock and he was a joke. And so Nehemiah is deeply burdened not only for the people but primarily for God's glory. But that's not really his crisis. That's not really his crisis. That's his burden. That's his grief. That's his concern. But that's not his crisis. His crisis is this. And we're going to see more of this as we, as we study it this morning. As Nehemiah was praying and seeking the Lord, it says that he, that he sought him day and night with fasting. As he was doing this, it became clear to Nehemiah that he's the one that God had called to go to Jerusalem and rebuild the wall. 
That's the crisis, because Nehemiah couldn't just quit his job. Even though he was a cupbearer to the king, and that was an important job, keep in mind, and I said this about last week, it was a prestigious job, but the, the other side of the coin is that really Nehemiah was no more than a high-class slave. He was a high-class slave. He was a foreigner recruited for royal service in the king's palace. And his job was to taste the food every day, drink the beverage, and then uh, take a sip of it, take a little bit of food. And if he wasn't poisoned and he didn't die, then the king could, uh, could eat and drink. That's an important job if you're, if you're the king. You don't let people like that go. You don't do that. Nehemiah was a key man in the kingdom. He had no time off. He got no vacations. And so this is critical. How could he be released from his job and go off to Jerusalem on a building mission? I mean, this is a pagan king. What does he care about Jerusalem and, and that city? He not only needed the king's permission to go, but he needed the king's provision of materials and the king's protection in traveling. He didn't have money to buy stuff. How are you going to build a wall without materials? One, one writer summed it up this way, and this is his crisis. This is his uh, absolutely impossible situation from a human standpoint. Without official authority to govern, an official guard for the journey, and it was about 800 miles, I might add, and the right to use materials from the king's forest, the entire project was destined to fail. Eastern monarchs were absolute tyrants, and it was not easy to approach them or convince them. That's why at the end of this chapter, of uh, chapter 1, we read this, and here's his crisis. O Lord, I beseech thee... May thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servants and the prayer of, of thy servants who delight to revere thy name and make thy servant successful today and grant him compassion before this man. And then he concludes, and I was cupbearer to the king. In, in other words, what he's praying for is, Lord, I'm going to approach this man and ask to be released from my responsibilities here to go to Jerusalem to be in charge, to have his provision, his protection, grant me success, grant me compassion, the, the man compassion when I ask the king. That, that's his crisis. That's his crisis. Asking a tyrant to sponsor a building project in Jerusalem and letting him go to lead it. So what did he do? He prayed. He prayed. And the rest of chapter 1 is Nehemiah's prayer. But Nehemiah did not simply Pray for God's help. Oh, Lord, help me. I'm in trouble. No, Nehemiah incorporated certain elements and principles into his prayer, his crisis praying that brought about God solving the problem. And I'm convinced that the Spirit of God has revealed to us not only that he prayed, but what he prayed so that you and I would, would learn from this how to pray during a crisis. There are specific principles and elements when we face a crisis. Now, why do I say that? Well, for one thing, the Spirit of God didn't simply say Nehemiah prayed. He recorded his prayer for us to learn. But there's also some more substance to, to that. In Romans chapter 15, verse 4, listen to what Paul says. For whatever was written in earlier times, meaning the Old Testament, was written for our instruction that through perseverance and encouragement to the scriptures, we might have hope. That is to say that one of the purposes of the Old Testament is to instruct God's people today, instruct us today, so that we would be encouraged and we would persevere through difficulties and we would have hope. Now, some of, some of you perhaps don't have hope. 
Some believers today are extremely hopeless. They are spiritually drained. They are fatigued. They are even disillusioned, discouraged, because they, they feel like they've, they've lost hope. Uh, they don't know what to do. They, they don't know what else can be done. They haven't seen God intervene, and they're even so desperate to the point that they will sin against the written word of God and do what seems right to them, and uh, they try to resolve the problem in their own strength, and they are failing miserably, and they'll do what is wrong just because they want out of a, uh, a crisis rather than, than God's route. Well, this morning, I, I want to present to you God's route. I want to offer you hope in the form of Nehemiah's prayer because the elements of his crisis praying ought to be the elements of our crisis praying. It ought to be put into practice in how you face an impossible situation. And if you're not facing it today, you will sometime in the future. We all do. Situation which we don't know how to handle. And from our perspective, uh, we don't know what to do. It's up to God. So, so uh, get out your pens or pencils, and uh, you ought to write this down, because there are five elements of crisis praying, and that's what we're going to look at this morning. Five elements of how to pray when you face a crisis, when you face a, a virtually impossible situation. Number one, the first element of crisis praying is acknowledge God's greatness. Acknowledge God's greatness. Verse 5. Verse 5, we read this. After he said he prayed, now this is the prayer. And I said, I beseech thee, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who preserves the covenants and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. Even though Nehemiah is brokenhearted, grief-stricken about what's going on in Jerusalem, when he looks to God in prayer, he does not focus on his problem. His first concern is God. His first concern is to praise God. He sees God as great, as big, as powerful, as a wonderful God who can do absolutely anything. There is no limit to God, and that's how Nehemiah sees God. Nehemiah begins his prayer by acknowledging that God is great. Now, how great is he? In just these few words, uh, Nehemiah acknowledges several attributes of God. First of all, he calls him Lord. Uh, this is the translation of Yahweh. This is the name that God gave as his covenant name. When he revealed himself to Moses, he said, I am Yahweh, or I am the great I am. I am the self-existent one. This is the name God gave as he gave the Mosaic law. This is the covenant name of God. So basically, Nehemiah was acknowledging that God is a God of covenant, uh, of the covenant who doesn't break his promise. He's a self-existent one. He also called him the God of heaven, meaning he's different than the idols of the earth, than the Persian gods. He also recognized the sovereignty of God. He said he is great and he is awesome. He said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God. He also acknowledged God's faithfulness. He said, who preserves his covenant. God keeps his word. God is faithful. Then he also acknowledged God's loving kindness as he, as he spoke of, of uh, the loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. God's loving kindness. Now, what does this tell us about praying during a crisis? In the midst of your own grief and your own confusion, lift up your heart, lift up your soul by remembering and acknowledging God's greatness, God's omniscience, God's omnipresence, God's omnipotence, God's love, God's faithfulness, God's holiness. Remember God. You know, that sounds so basic, but we often don't do that. We think of only our problems. How are we going to solve our problems? And sometimes I have found myself saying words to God 
or saying words, but it's not really to God. I'm just kind of thinking out loud. Forget that. We are to focus on God. The tendency is to focus on ourselves, focus on our problems, focus on our confusion, our hurts. Nehemiah didn't do that, and we need to learn from that. His focus was on God. Now, keep in mind that even though your problem is great, God is greater. God is great. That, that's a profound statement. God is greater than your problems. In fact, I'll, I'll take it a step further. God has no problems. God has never had a problem. Have you ever meditated on that? God has no problem. What you and I think is so horrible and, uh, and so traumatic to us, it's not a problem to God. God has never had a problem. God will never have a problem. God is greater. He has no problems. And there's nothing that he can do. Listen to the words of Jeremiah chapter 32. This has always encouraged me. And, and it's a great, uh, great verse to, to memorize. Jeremiah 32, verses 17 and then verse 27. Ah, Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heavens and the earth by thy great power and by thine outstretched arm. Nothing is too difficult for thee. What a great statement. We believe that? No amens? Okay, thank you. Verse 27. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too difficult for me? I mean, that's a great, great question. And the answer is, of course not. Lord, what can't you do? You can do everything. You know, Habakkuk faced a similar situation. Habakkuk was on the other side of history with Nehemiah. Habakkuk was told that the Babylonians were going to come in and ravage the land and take the people into captivity. And Habakkuk uh, couldn't quite understand this because the Babylonians were far more wicked than the people of Judah, and yet God was going to raise up the Babylonians to correct and, and punish the people of Judah. And Habakkuk couldn't understand this. And his, the first chapter of Habakkuk is his confusion. He doesn't know what's going on. He can't figure it out. But I love this. In, in the midst of this, in the midst of his horrors and the situation he's facing, he says in verse 12, Art thou not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We will not die. Thou, O Lord, hast appointed them to judge, and thou, O Rock, hast established them to correct. I mean, in the midst of, of all of this, God, Habakkuk affirms that God is holy. He may not understand what's going on, but he knows that God is holy. And so the principle is this. You hold on to what you do know, not what you don't know. You hold on to the fact that you know God is great. You know God is faithful. You know God is loving. You know God is holy. You know all of the attributes of God, even if you don't know how to figure, how to figure out the problem. Actually, it's not even for you to figure it out. God will do it. But the first step is to praise him and to adore him and to acknowledge his greatness. You see, when you see God for who he is, you've got a little problem. When your God is big, your problem is small. When you're God, when you reduce God to being small in your mind, then you've got a big problem. It, it's as simple as that. God is, is big. God is great. So the next time you face a virtually impossible situation, you've got to remember to adore the Lord. You, you've got to put your problem aside and adore and worship the Lord, remembering to praise him for who he is, remembering uh, that with him all things are possible. Jesus said that all things are possible. See your crisis in light of who he is. Forget for a few moments how it's going to turn out. You don't know how it's going to turn out, but you're speaking to the one who is bigger than your problem, and he'll have it turn out for his own glory and your own good. 
So encourage your heart by meditating on his greatness. And of course, you need to know who he is. You need to know what attributes he has. So, and this isn't only for Christ's praying. Actually, we ought to always enter his presence by, by acknowledging how great he is. So that's the first element of Christ is praying. Will you mark that down to do that? That this week you're going to do that? That you're going to start now? Don't just hear the word and let it go in one ear and out the next. God delights in that. Nehemiah did that. Daniel did that as well. Habakkuk did that. Men and women of faith do that. They acknowledge God's greatness. He's bigger than the problem, so don't focus on the problem. The second element of Christ's praying is not only acknowledge God's greatness, but be persistent. This is so, so important. Be persistent. The beginning of verse 6, we read, Let thine ear now be attentive, and thine eyes open to hear the prayer of thy servant, which I am praying before thee. Watch this. Day and night. Day and night. With these words, Nehemiah reveals how long he sought the Lord about his crisis. He said day and night. But the question is, how many days? How many nights? Well, well, let's look. Notice verse 1 of this chapter. He says, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now, it happened in the month of Kislev in the 20th year, meaning the 20th year of the king. 20th year of this king who was named Artaxerxes, while I was in Susa, the capital. So he starts to pray in the, uh, in the month of Kislev. You know what the, month of, the Jewish month of Kislev is? It's November, December. This is the month of Kislev. I just recently uh, saw a, a Jewish calendar, and it said Kislev, though it was spelled with a K. It's Kislev. This is the month of, of Kislev. So he started in November, December, praying, night and day. And then turn over to chapter 2, verse 1. It came about in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, so he prayed up until this time. So the question is, what is, what is Nisan? Nisan is March, April. That's when he got the answer. So for four or five months, depending on what time of the month he prayed and what time it was answered, for four or five months he prayed night and day concerning the walls of Jerusalem being broken down and him going to rebuild it. He prayed for about four months, let's say. I wonder if during those four months Nehemiah ever felt like quitting. We're not given an indication that he did. I wonder if he ever felt like giving up because he didn't see anything happen. But he didn't quit. He didn't give up like, like we're prone to do. He didn't grow discouraged. Instead, he persevered and was persistent until the answer came from God. He prayed for the same thing day and night for four months, maybe five months. What a lesson this is for us. What an incredible lesson on perseverance that during a crisis, our hearts are, are heavy we're often in, in a desperate plight, and we want answers from God quickly, and that's understandable. Nobody enjoys going through a crisis. Nobody enjoys a heaviness of heart. We would love the answer right now, but God is not a cosmic bellboy. God's not like that. The moment you say, Lord, I'd like you to do this, he doesn't jump up and say, yes, master. We're not the master. We don't tip him and say, do whatever I tell you to do and do it now. Get these bags up to the room. He's not like that. God's timing is perfect. And when he delays to answer a prayer, it's because he knows what he's doing. He, kn he is all wise. He knows what he's doing. So far in these verses, we've seen two things that we need to put into our prayers, especially during times of crisis. One is praise, and the other is persistence. Pastor Steve Kreloff will have more to share from the book of Nehemiah about the importance of persistence in prayer on the next Verse by Verse. Thanks for joining us today. 
Verse by Verse is a daily radio Bible class led by Pastor Steve, who is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. These broadcasts are produced by Verse by Verse Ministries, a faith ministry supported by caring listeners like you. If these lessons have blessed you and you've never sent in a gift, would you ask God if that's what he would want you to do? You can learn more about this ministry and how to support it at our website, versebyverseradio.org. We also have today's class and hundreds of previous ones on the website. They are in MP3 format and ready for you to either listen to online or download for later. We even have a free podcasting service if you'd like to have all the future classes on your computer or MP3 player. That's versebyverseradio.org. To order a CD or cassette with the entire message which Pastor Steve began today, call us at 727-239-0306. That number again is 727-239-0306. Have you ever noticed how patient a dog is when it hopes you will hand down a scrap from the table? It will sit and wait throughout the entire meal, hoping its master will finally notice it and have compassion. Do we need to be persistent in our prayers so that God will eventually take notice and take pity? No, not at all. Before we move on to the third vital ingredient... Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.